Welcome to the Strong Source Commodity Podcast. We are your hosts, Martijn Bron and Alexander Sterk. Welcome to our very first podcast of our lives. I mean, this is something uh, special. I mean, listening to podcasts and now we're, we're trying to make one ourselves about commodities. I'm super excited about this. Uh, I hope you, hope, uh, you two uh, looking at you, uh, seeing your smile. I mean, uh, how, how cool is that? We're going to talk about commodities, the world of commodities and everything around it in the, the following episodes. Yeah, and I was just uh, super excited about this. How do you feel? Yeah, it's, it's really great because I vividly recall when I was here and we had no agenda for a meeting and we were talking as usual about the business, about what's going on in commodity markets. And then at the very end of the meeting, almost when just before I, I had to go home, you said, yeah, one last thing. And you said, yeah, I have an ID. I want to do a commodity podcast. And I was ecstatic because I had the same ID. I had already made some, some, some preparations and you saw that both of us were kind of jumping, jumping around the room about the, the excitement of the ID. Uh, there are podcasts, but the way we want to do it is not there, especially with the credibility that both of us have as, as former commodity traders the work that both of us still do and also the network that we have and the people we want to invite for this podcast who are really the movers and shakers in the commodity industry. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm really happy to, to, to get this done. And what I also like is that you see that when you have an ID and you have smart people, you can actually, you get it done. You just do it. So yeah, nice to be here. Thank you. Cool. Just within a few weeks, we've, we've set it up the idea and the follow-up. Well, we're going to talk about commodities, but maybe it's nice for everybody to hear, like, why, what is your, how, how has your life started within commodities? Because it was not a real, you know, study to study commodities like you have as a lawyer. So what brought you to the commodities? Yeah, absolutely. So in the eighties, I saw two movies that had a big impact on me. It was Trading Places with, with Eddie Murphy. Eddie. It was, it was a fantastic movie. I didn't obviously understand everything what happened over there, but I did understand the excitement and the trading floor was, yeah, it, it just made a, a, a big, a, a good impression on me. And also Wall Street, that was obviously focused more on, on, on financial markets. But those movies from the 80s, they, they, they stuck with me. And then after my studies of economics in Amsterdam, I applied for a job in, in Cargill. Uh, which isn't that well known as a household name, but during my first interview, I saw the trading floor and that reminded me of those movies. And I felt the same excitement that I saw in the movies. I just saw a big trading floor with a lot of young people, excited people. I, I got the idea that they were doing deals. Many uh, screens. Yeah. Lots of screens and, and, and just like a, a great crowd. Um, now the interviews they went by in a rush, but I just felt, yeah, I want to be here, and that was my my start as a as a trainee trading sunflower oil in Cargill, and that was in '97. And I've traded commodities for for 25 years in Cargill, 10 years grains and oil seeds, and 15 years cocoa. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a really really great great period. The end, you see a lot of people coming out of the Cargill school, basically, and, and disperse throughout the world of commodities, I believe. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cargill is a, is a great company to learn because from a young age, you get a huge amount of responsibility. You're surrounded by, by really good people. So the level of education is, is high. Uh, you can travel around. You can go through different market cycles, try different commodities. You become a real well-rounded commodity trader. And, and if you like, you can also move into leadership and to develop yourself as a, you know, a desk head or maybe running, running a trading franchise. But look, that's, that's a lot about me. What about you? Because you also yeah. have an extremely interesting story. Well, my, my story actually started in the world of dairy commodities. So it's, it's a completely different one. I started at Interfood where I traded dairy commodities for roughly seven years. It was coincident. I studied with the, the son of the owner in Utrecht and I was a commercial guy. It fell basically all in, in, in together and I started uh, trading there and it was at that stage much smaller than what is now. And we would build up the whole European desk and I was actually, I just traveled around. I went to find new clients, create new supply lines. Yeah, it was super exciting and I learned a lot and uh, basically from that onwards, I saw that actually the information flow was always quite old fashioned that we had in the, in, in the world of commodities. So basically you had either Reuters or Bloomberg terminal was quite high end and expensive, or you had a lot of newsletters that I was using in the, in the morning, in the afternoon. So I thought, Hey, that can be different. So from commodity trading, I went to the commodity information and started my own business Vesper basically on still in the world of commodities. And luckily I can still benefit from all the cool relationships that I build up and all the people that I encountered in, in these years. But now instead of dealing with commodities, I deal with the commodity information part. So a bit of a switch, yeah. but still yeah, really, really nice. Yeah. Thank you. Now I'd like to use that as a, as a bit of a bridge because you know, and I as well know the, 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 the importance of, of information and, and knowledge and Knowledge transformation, education is really the number one reason why you and I wanted to start this, this podcast. I think both of us identified that there is not a lot of credible information at the moment about commodities and about trading. In 21, so that was still in COVID, when everyone was sitting at home, and we went through one of the most insane market moves, financial markets. It was the everything bubble, commodities, equities, digital assets, everything went through the roof. And I thought, well, this doesn't make any sense. And I started writing on LinkedIn. And I also got approached by uh, the Erasmus Center for uh, Commodity and Trade. I was also approached by Telegraaf, who wanted to do an article on, on Cargill, on my career and, and, and commodities trading. And along the way, doing all those things, I started to realize, okay, there is a big gap in the availability of knowledge and especially credible knowledge, which is not driven by someone willing to sell something. And so the word Finfluencer came up in that period, but Finfluencers, a lot of them, they are trying to sell something and it's their business model. And also a book was published by uh, one of my former colleagues uh, in Cargill, Ivo Soyanovic. And this was 
about pretty much everything that was happening at the time. It was about commodities, inflation, and crypto. And then I thought, finally, there is a book which is written by someone who is credible, who I know as someone genuine, who is a professor, who I also met again in Rotterdam during the lectures for the Erasmus Commodity and Trade Center, and who doesn't need to sell something, who is just educating. And, and, and that was my ID and your ID separately. We need to educate people who are interested in the commodities industry. It's, it's, it's not there and it's, it's, it's insane. We almost don't sell, we don't, we don't sound like traders anymore, but that's, that's all. But there you've got now the uh, university of Rotterdam. I think there's in, in the U S I see JP Morgan has a school for yeah. commodities as well, but it will always quite few. If I see also, you know, people in the commodity industries, a lot of times by coincidence, they arrive and start buying commodities or they start selling or trading them at uh, the, the big trading houses. So I think there is a, there is a definitely a space where we could educate and help people basically understand a bit more about this world, but also have a lot of fun and, and hear great stories from people that have experienced, of course, crazy market moves, yeah. interesting product developments. Yeah. And also now with uh, everything that's happened from COVID to the Suez channel that was blocked. So the whole supply chain yeah. got ripped apart. So how does that, you know, how did that impact these, these companies, their positions? So it will be a lot of fun stories going by, I, I believe. Yeah, it's true. And, and what, what we try to do is the education needs to lead, lead to something. It needs to lead to making better position, better decisions. And, and, and a good example is the, the discussion about the energy price cap eh, in the UK, but also in, in Europe and the, and, and the UK government collapsed because the bond market realized that what the UK government wanted to do was not properly designed um, eh, and would create too much stress to the UK government finances. And when the European Union also proposed an energy price cap due to the, the, the height of the, the energy crisis, I wrote a long article on LinkedIn on this topic where I, as a commodity trader, needed to explain why a price cap would not work and why a government interfering in a market, why it wouldn't work. Now, that was an example that I would love to have explained here in a podcast and maybe with, a, with an experienced energy trader, someone like Pierre Underhand, for example. And so, so credible people who will share with the audience how someone who is active in these markets thinks about it, how he thinks about policies and, 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 and not only how it impacts the commodity that trade, but how it impacts their franchise. And in terms of energy, yeah, energy impacts everyone. Yeah. And during that energy crisis, a lot of companies realized that they had huge exposure to energy and that they hadn't uh, hedged it. And they were thinking about shit, do we need to have an energy, energy hedging protocol. So, so those things I think, uh, can be of great value to our audience. Yeah? So our audience, it can be enthusiasts in the financial markets, can be juniors, seniors, but also policymakers who will hear from specialists, from, from experts in the trade, 
how these things work. And, and uh, yeah, that uh, I think is a great, a great purpose of what we can deliver. 100%. I mean, I think that this can also help if you see now that the market actually was now looking a lot at energy because of course the exposure that everybody had. And it felt for me a bit like the same, like uh, teams. I mean, mm -hmm. when COVID happened uh, nobody had teams <laughs> and implementing teams for yeah. big companies was like a hassle. And suddenly everybody could implement teams within a week because you had yeah. to. And this was the same. We, we hear that at Vesper as well, people want information on energy because they, you know, the gas prices for, for drying towers, for, for powder is, is massively important. And so it all had impact. So they want information on that. And you see how quickly then market responds. So that's also, I think, very interesting. If you look at a bit of your experience in the trading, because 25 years, I mean, you've, you've seen a lot, you've mm -hmm. heard a lot, good things, bad things. If we would have a glass bowl, I mean, then uh, of course you start your own trading company and uh, that doesn't exist. Tell me a bit about your, you know, if you, could you, could you tell us about two trades that you've done, like, you know, a good one, a bad one, what happened there yeah. and uh, take us along uh, in this, in this journey. Yeah, so one of the, the trades that, that I will never, never forget, and that is usually because it, it, it never really start, starts as a good trade. Yeah, so, so trades that you recall often, you have learned something from it. You went through difficult times with a team. It's about, yeah, good analysis, determination, and, 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 and never give up. But what, what happened... About seven, seven, yeah, seven, eight years ago in the cocoa market that we had a certain view on the crop, the next year's crop, which was very different in terms of timing and, timing and sizing than the rest of the industry. Um, we were positioned accordingly and the market went against us. And we were trying to figure out what was going on. Was, were our fundamentals wrong? Or was something, was someone in the market trying to do something against us? The market had a different view about the crop. And indeed, there was a counterparty with a huge position. And I knew the trader who was trying to, yeah, to put us in a, in a, in a, in a, in a painful, uh, <laughs> in a painful <laughs> decision of a position. But we had a great trading team, some really smart people, uh, nice in terms of experience, nice combination of experience, age, character. And that is important in, 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 in a well-functioning trading team that you have different characters. Yeah. If you all have like risk takers, that's risky. But if you have people who are risk averse, you're also not going to achieve anything. Yeah. You need to have different characters. So would you say you're a risk taker or I'm usually more the one who is the one who will pull the, the emergency brake when things go wrong. Yeah, so I've always hired people who wanted to take more risk than me. I, when, they, when I trust them, I give them a lot of freedom. But I will make sure that we do not blow up. Yeah. And so so you set the boundaries for the for Yeah, the so, 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 you know. My, my, my philosophy has always been the game is not to, not to shine, but to survive. And that was my purpose also being embedded as a trader in a physical franchise. But in, and, and it's good that you ask because our position at the time was very big. The stakes were high. 
And I knew, we knew, that the position of uh, the guy on the other side of the trade was also huge. Now, long story short, the market went against us for a long time. Uh, and we had lots of considerations what to do about it. But, you know, we were very convicted. And along the way, when we, we, when we came closer, closer to the harvest, we came, became more convicted in the physical consequences, so the fundamentals of, of the market. And then all of a sudden, in a very, very short period, the market turned. And it, yeah, it was for us a very successful trade. And for the counterparty, it was really a, yeah, a shocking, a shocking trade, which, which, which led to large losses and, uh, and some, some, some people changes in their, in their, in their trading team. And when our position expired and we were trading on the futures market, uh, we, we were extremely relieved because this was a very long period of intensity and, and doubt and, you know, sticking together as a team, like comrades. And then we went into town in Amsterdam and we were there with the four of us at a cafe Hoppe and we, we were hugging each other and, and the, that moment I will never forget because it's like such a long period where you had to stuck together and where you didn't know how it would end up well. And obviously because we were running the position, everyone knew in the company that we were running this position. So everybody saw it. Everybody, everybody saw and, it. And then every, do you think it's a bit of luck? I, th or? I think this one wasn't luck. I think we were fortunate that our fundamental analysis, so the research team that helped us building the position was extremely strong. So our confidence in what they saw on the, on the fields was really high. So, and that is also what, what many people who are not fundamental traders, what, what, what they don't understand, conviction in fundamentals helps you really sweat out turbulence. And if you are a trader and you are fully dependent on technicalities, chart reading, for example, or order flow, whatever, it's much less easy to sweat out turbulence. When you, when you know that your fundamental research has a great track record, yeah, through different market cycles and crop cycles, when you know that, you know that the fundamentals eventually will play out. But especially in cocoa, it always takes a long time. Yeah, so therefore it's always so, so painful to put on a trade basis of fundamental situation, knowing that it usually takes some time to actually play out. Yeah? And therefore you need to go back to the drawing board several times and, 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 and challenge everyone and constantly also think, so what if, what if we are wrong? Can Good. That's of course what yeah. we also but, saw is that people sometimes have different opinions within the team, yeah, right? Yeah. So that uh, my manager, I was convic convinced about taking uh, a long position yeah. and my manager said, no way, we're not going to yeah. do this because there's this reason. So you had arguments and yeah. you know, you had discussions. So yeah, it's not an easy Look, goal. The good thing in this case also was we knew mm. who we had against us. We knew who it was. We knew the company. We knew their style, yeah. Along the way, we saw that they were over trading. 
that their position was too big and that they could only blow up. And that is and that is what happened. Yeah. So that's also I think the the advantage of of a cocoa market, which is a niche market, you know most of the players, you know the individuals, you know their characters. Yeah. So your question about what type of trader are you? Yeah, I knew this guy. He would bet the bet the house, which he did. So now, now one of the the <laughs> the bad trades. Uh, and and look, also what what people need to understand is traders make a lot of bad trades. Yeah, if you if you are right sixty percent of the time, you you do fairly well. There are actually not that many bad trades that I recall. Now, why is that? Nobody believes this. Sir. No, no, no. But why is that? Because you can't have a bad trade impact you for long. Yeah, you need to mentally condition yourself so that when you have a bad trade, you get out and you move you close on. It. Yeah. yeah. And and if there would be many bad trades that I would recall, like the emotions that I had with that example that I gave you now of, gave you now of a good trade, it would be a very bad signal, yeah? Because when you get emotionally attached, that's not what you want to do as a trader. That's the worst thing. Yeah, you should never take things personally. The market doesn't know what position you have. There, there is nothing personal, personal about it. So one, but but a, but a good example of a trade that went bust is we had a wow, well, went bust. I mean, it it went bad and we got out on time. But we had a view on on arbitrage, which is basically relative value between New York cocoa and London cocoa, and we had an idea about the the stock accumulation in the in the New York uh, futures market. We were right on the stock accumulation, but we were totally wrong on the spec positioning, meaning there was order flow from speculative hedge funds and we yeah. had overlooked that. So we were right on the fundamentals, but we were wrong on the order flow. And that is also something typical in the cocoa market, but important for every trader. You need to have an open mind about what is fundamental when does it play out in the market and what is you know something like order flow and order flow can be driven by something not related to the underlying commodity it can be foreign exchange it can be a macro environment it can be it can be anything but you always need to be open for other elements than the fundamental so what happened yeah fundamentally we were right but we got the market wrong but we got out with, without too many issues. But why do I recall it? Because we thought that the fundamental case was extremely strong. And I, and I recall that on the desk, when we were discussing it, we were all excited about that trade. Yeah, we, 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 we thought it was a fantastic trade, a great opportunity, but it, it turned out not, not a great trade. And, and that is what, what, what what do you of, what do I often recall from trading is the interaction with with the team, the the, the interesting characters, the the mavericks, and just like the the movies I I discussed, you recall Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, huh? and uh, and Charlie Sheen, Michael Douglas, and so as a trader, it is nice to work in a team with flamboyant characters. I think you you must you must recall that as well. 
For sure. And I think that what I liked about commodities so much is that if I compare it now to the Bitcoins and all, you know, all these products that, you know, if you, I started with some Bitcoins, I got so nervous when I had my Bitcoin accounts and just went up and down, up and down. I was looking at it the whole day. I was like, okay, you know, I need, I need to stop now. And what I like about commodities so much, it's, it's physical, right? So it's the containers in the harbor in Rotterdam and in it, it, it makes it so tangible. It makes it sexy. It makes it also part of the food chain. I mean, especially the food commodities. I mean, it's part of, of what we do. And, you know, you can say that some things are luxury products and stuff like that, but you know, all these commodities from grains to oils to cocoa, sugar, the dairy, it all part of our yeah, basic food needs often. So I really like that it's, it, it's a continuous product that will keep on flowing. And that's what I really like about it. That also has a physical element to it. And of course, you have then the financial for the hedging, et cetera, what I think is fantastic and, you know, for the hedging and gives an extra element to using it. For yeah, abs absolutely. And, and what, what you just said about Bitcoin, there is a new book just out now. It's called Number Go Up. For me, that's, that's a good recap of what it is. People look at a number and they hope the number goes up. And what I've tried to explain many times is that also, when you talk about what is what is Bitcoin and is it a commodity, yes or no, a commodity has has a purpose in an economic ecosystem. And my job and, and, and your job in Interfood and your job now running the company, providing information about what is the difference between the price you see on the screen and the value. And the job of every trader is making a call. The price is what I see on the screen. But what is the value? Is it overvalued or undervalued? And that, and that determines your trade. But how do you know? Well, because what you do is you translate that number on the screen into the whole supply chain from raw material down to a product that you buy in a supermarket, as an example. You go through the economics and then you translate that into an S&D, supply and demand. And what I've explained many times as well on LinkedIn, for example, is that the S&D number that comes out will never materialize because the price will prevent it. The price will make sure that demand will be rationed or stimulated. And the same goes for, 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 for supply. Yeah, I haven't seen an S&D yet in Bitcoins. Well, the, it's, it's, very, it's very difficult. Although others say you, you, you can look at the code, but, but let's not, not go into that. I, I, what I like about commodities is that you can actually see the economics and make a fairly good prediction of what price will do to the S and D now, and that makes the trading opportunity, uh, for, for traders that is in essence, a, a large part of your day that you're trying to analyze how the price that you see on the screen translates into production economics in origin and demand economics where, where the consumer is. And, uh, but do you then think that if you look at, you know, you've been 25 years in, yeah. in commodity trading, has it changed a lot? Basically the job is that person that started that is, yeah. it, is if you, and you hire the, the new guy yeah. now, is it still the same person because no. of the fundamentals? No, I, I think. Look, the, fun the fundamentals of trading, they are the same. But what, what has changed is access to data, 
there's you know driven by the internet to a large extent, but also but also technology. So the way you have access to information now. But but look, I think what a lot of companies struggle with is to translate data into actionable, tradable information. Yeah. So nowadays you have young traders, most of them they can code. Huh? They 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 can do things in in in, in Python and they no. can build things themselves. But look at also at Vespa, right? Where you have the ability now with with AI to make credible predictions about yeah. price. That that wasn't that wasn't available. And, this, 20 does years the, ago. and does the speed change in your view? Does the speed change for how how quick you need to be changing positions, buying, selling? And I uh, think also there is a difference between the traders and yeah. let's say a buyer at a multinational, you know, at the FMCG company or the sales yeah. person selling commodities at one of the big producers. There is a difference, I think, in these three categories of people, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's a topic that, in fact, you and I, uh, we discussed uh, yeah. online on, on, on LinkedIn. You have all kinds of different participants in the commodity markets with different levels of sophistication. Now you say it, I don't think it's actually much different than, say, 20, 20 years ago because it's human behavior. Now, there is, there is a nice expression about that. History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. That's basically says that nothing happens for the exact same thing, but it looks a bit like it. And the other thing is history doesn't repeat, but man does. That is from Voltaire. Our markets are driven by human behavior and human behavior is driven by fear and greed to, to a large extent. The only thing is people have now much more information access. Yeah. Now, what was the impact on that, for example, that I've experienced in the, in, the, in, the, in the cocoa industry? Hedge funds were in the beginning mostly humans and they moved into becoming what you call systematic hedge funds. So computer models giving buying and selling signals. Sometimes the human beings who needed to execute it, but nowadays also fully automatic so algorithmic execution and trading now many of the hedge funds that were driven by by humans they struggled with that yeah because it's difficult to to see how an algo makes makes their decisions now i think they have a they have a role in 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 being a liquidity provider in these markets but they have also been disruptive at at times because for human beings, it was quite difficult to understand why they moved in a certain position. While we as a fundamentally driven trader thought, well, this doesn't make any sense. This is economically doesn't make any sense. But, but you, if you have also in 21, when you have very low cost of capital, money is free, everyone is seeking for yield. And of course, the myth that commodities are a great inflation hedge yeah, a lot of money gets piled into commodity markets by all kinds of funds, including those systematic funds. Yeah, no, and that is also so great about the book from Evo, Commodities as an Asset Class, that he actually is debunking that myth about commodities being, being a hedge against inflation. It's very, very clearly detailed, described why commodities 
are as per definition a fundamental trade and not a hedge against inflation which always works and not even a long-term investment i think it's a it's a clear that if you are in commodities you need to read the book of of evo i Absolutely. mean there are not many books around about commodities like that and i think also you see that the commodity people they like to have control or at least the feeling control of their positions of their buying and selling but of course control is a, is a full illusion basically and you see that if i look at the high frequency traders they often are much more using already data much more using algorithms what i think still has many is, is many steps ahead of of the commodity world and maybe there's some people in the commodity industry that are already doing these kind of things and and making uh, great steps. But look, you know the you know the the expression dumb money. Yeah? Yep. Now quite often in the financial market is retail traders are referred to as dumb money. But when I was trading Coco, I referred to these a lot of these systematic hedge funds as dumb money. Because they were quite easily to you know it was quite easy to to follow what their positions were. And we also figured out at some stage what were more or less their maximum positions that they were running in terms of size, asset under management, and so the, the amount of dollars exposed. Then you could also apply a VAR to it. So we, we, we more or less knew where they would be maxed out. And that gave a, a huge amount of information because we knew when they were the biggest they were also the most vulnerable. And in fact, the whole market knew it. So you had like a, a zigzag signal where you could more or less see, okay, this is the range of their size linked to where the market is trading. So it, 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 it wasn't say perfect, but to a large extent, we felt, okay, they are maxed out. The market won't rally much more because they won't become any bigger. And when they want to turn around, regardless of fundamentals, then there is a void because everyone is already prepared for that. So usually these guys, they sold basically the low and bought and bought the high. Now we have often wondered why is it that they run these positions in Coco? Well, Coco correlates to nothing. It, it really lives in its own bubble. So very often these funds, they had Coco exposure because of its lack of correlation it reduced their overall risk exposure. So by adding cocoa, which correlated to nothing, they could add more exposure of the things that they were convicted of. Yeah, and, and when, when, when you start to understand those things, yeah, you, 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 you have a better feel for, okay, there is no fundamental story, but still these funds go in, they, they, they are trend followers. This is about their maximum size, and then they're about to blow up. I mean, I think that these companies that are not trading because they actually want to sell or buy mm -hmm. the product, but mm -hmm. just do it for financial reasons. It's also, it's, it has different, different, I say this, let's say rules basically to the game than if you are a buyer of the commodities or a seller of the product yeah, or just, you know, or like a Cargill or real trader yeah. in that, in that space. Moving back to a book. So I think, you know, you have, you have a massive experience on, on commodities. We already touched upon the book from Vo. Two other books for listeners maybe that you yeah. would recommend. No, absolutely. 
So one is is the Bible of trading, which oh. is Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. It's a famous book. It's about speculation. It's about uh, grifters. It's about psychology. Yeah, it, it is an amazing book, which I think everyone interested in trading should read. It's a funny book as well. Yeah, it's not without a reason that it is that the is Bible. perceived as the as as the as the Bible among right. among traders. And the other one. And another one, and it's also a nice, I think, a nice story, is called "What I Learned Losing a Million Dollars." Now, the interesting thing about that book is, I had never heard about it, but I did an interview with a potential trader for for my team, and that was during during COVID. There was no, we couldn't do anything in the office, but I wanted to interview her. So we did a Vondelpark walk and we met and she brought uh, two books for me to read. So she had looked at my, my, my LinkedIn profile and she, she knew that I was a reader or I'm a reader. And one of the books she brought was what I learned losing a million dollars. So. It was not a big book and I started reading it and I thought, shit, man, I should have read this like 10 years ago. It was a fantastic book. It was a book about how you make sure as a trader that you deal with the intensity of the market. So it was a lot about psychology and I made a post about it on LinkedIn because I recalled that I was once with my mom and my girlfriend in Barcelona for a long weekend. And I had a, not a good day in the office on the day that we flew to Barcelona. At, at the time I was trading uh, Chicago Board of uh, Chicago Board of Trade, soybean oil futures. And the yep. market went against me and I felt shit. And I couldn't get that shitty feeling out of my, out of my system. It took me maybe till like halfway Saturday during lunch that I finally could loosen up. Now, then I read the book, how I lost, what I learned losing a million dollars. And in that book, it made, it was made very clear how you need to make sure that these type of things. So when you're wrong in the market, have no impact on your personal life. Yeah. Now, earlier. Then obviously reading the book, not that long after that weekend in Barcelona, I realized that something had to change because it was not fair for my girlfriend and for my mom that I was miserable. So from that time on, I, I, I made a, I, I made kind of a switch in my head where even if I had experienced a brutal day in the market that people around me should not notice, should not notice it. Yeah. Uh, but that book is is all about that. So how do you separate the intensity and the difficulty of being a trader from being a nice person at home? Yeah. So that's why I, I recommend it's that a, book to it's everyone. It's an intense it's an intense job, right? Trading. So I think yeah. that uh, now young traders in, they experience quite a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. It's uh, big positions. It's yeah. about a lot of money, a lot of responsibilities. I think that maybe that book uh, can help them as well, uh, making sure that they can just go yeah. uh, with an ease mind uh, to uh, to the bar, to the weekends. Absolutely. Very good. Well, 
uh, we're also a bit coming towards the end of our our first podcast. How how do, how does yours how's your experience the first time? Uh, <laughs> I think it's great. I think that what we have already done is educate people. We provided information about about books, about our own experiences, and we 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 gave a glimpse of what trading is all about. It's about psychology. It's about human behavior. It's not the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Nope. Never experienced that in my life yet. It's more like the Big Short, where I and my team also went. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a fantastic job, but you need to be extremely dedicated. You need to have a very strong character. And ideally you surround yourself with a team of of people you can trust and you you know well, you can have fun with, because that's all that is needed to 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 endure. Huh? So going back to what I always said, the game is not to shine but to survive and yeah, you need to have certain career characteristics to, to survive. But yeah, what my, and your idea is obviously is that we will invite in the coming weeks and months, many flamboyant, respected, credible people from the commodity industry who will do something similar than we did, we did today. We look forward to it. <laughs> and uh, some some really cool people we have yeah. on the list that are joining uh, our podcast. No, I think that definitely you know you're you're the survival type in, in your trading, but I definitely know that there are people that uh, like to shine in their trades and take a bit more risk, and that's always what you have, and that's a bit of a part of the job. And and look, hopefully there's in the markets at the end a bit of a balance. Yeah, I uh, I really look forward to it and the coming the coming episodes. Well, thanks also you, you and I look forward to it. Yeah, thank you. Great. Cheers, buddy.